It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 218, Cyrus the Legend, Part 2. The Herodotus account of Cyrus starts after the death of Xyaxares. This was the Median king who allied himself with Nabopolassar of Babylon to destroy Assyria. Xyaxares was the Median king who ruled over their lesser in population and poorer neighbors called the Persians. Now after Xyaxares dies, his son takes over the throne and his name is Estyges. He was without son, but he had a daughter named Mandane, who when she was born, he had a dream, she urinated herself, and when she did, it covered all of Asia. He called his spiritual advisors together, called the Magi. Yes, they're called the Magi, and they interpreted the dream to mean that her son one day would take the throne from Xaxares and conquer all of Asia. Once Mandane was grown up, he refused to give her to someone of noble median birth, fearing the consequences of her son taking the throne from him. Instead, he gave her in marriage to a Persian named Cambyses, whom he found to be of good, decent, and of quiet disposition, a man really of no threat, counting to be in a station much below that of Mede of even middle rank. And when Mandane was married to Cambyses in the first year of Astyges, he had another vision, and it seemed to him that from the womb of his daughter a vine grew, and this vine overspread the whole of Asia. And having seen this vision and delivered it to the interpreters of dreams, he sent for his daughter, being then with child, to come from the land of the Persians. And when she had come, he kept watch over her, desiring to destroy that which was born of her. For the Magi interpreters of dreams signified to him that the offspring of his daughter should be king. And they added something else, like the boy would only be king of his room or something like that, probably fearing for their lives because Astyges was violent and prone to extremes. Okay, so we've got two dreams, destiny dreams over this child. Um, the method, the type of the dream, even the interpretation, um, they're unusual. But the, the final delivery is that he would become king, that's actually true. And their interpretations are close to correct. Isn't that amazing? It will be interesting later when we get to Alexander the Great and how prophecies actually come true as well, and they tie into the biblical accounts. And it was Caiaphas, the high priest, who said Jesus had to die as a sacrifice. It's just fascinating when God speaks through um, interrupting demons and speaks through secular or through even secular leaders, or when kings interrupt the scheduled message to be an oracle for God. And there's a Proverbs about this. Uh, and even look at American history, it was Abraham Lincoln who curtly said perhaps it was God's will that this great civil war was to judge this nation for the wickedness of slavery. Did he really say that? He did. It's recorded in the history books and, and noted from one of his speeches. And now connecting these to Cyrus's prophecies of Isaiah, he would start with the throne of Media Persia. I mean, God said he would free God's people and subjugate nations, but he was also a shepherd, a man of strength. 
The name Cyrus has a variety of interpretations. One of them is son or like son or, or young or hero. There's even uh, one interpretation of it meaning or name in the meaning was humiliator. But I'm going to stick with that interpreted meaning like son. See where we're headed? Cyrus is born and Isaiah has already spoken of him. And now God's prophetic declaration is enormous over him. And, and now we have to talk about spiritual warfare. Who's the source of the opposite of God's purposes? The devil. And the devil is searching the whole earth for a man named Cyrus to kill him before he is born to prevent the return of the Jews to the Holy Land. The last thing he wants is another Israel dominating the political landscape of the earth and the glory returning to the temple in Jerusalem. And when the devil and his demons learn there's a man named Cyrus or a boy or a baby named Cyrus born in media, his plans are to eliminate the child through this evil king, Astyges. The devil wants to kill him before he's born, and the devil would want to abort him, but he'd settle for him to be born and then immediately killed. Now we see the devil's plan over this secular man and future king. It's interesting how the devil overplays his hand, and when man is sometimes clueless, he reveals God's purposes and destiny over an individual by the threats against God's plan. And in the time of deliverance, historically, the devil tries to kill something before it reaches maturity. Moses and the boys of Egypt, the two-year-olds and younger in Bethlehem, and here the baby before it matures. Now we see what happens. And it's just fascinating how the enemy is coldly determined to cut off God's plan. He has to see it as the easiest way, but all the more interesting to see how God delivers Estyges wants to eliminate the threat to his throne. He calls up a man who was in his family and trusted above all other means. Enter Harpagos to our story. Here is the dialogue from Herodotus, and the fact that we even have this conversation is just crazy detailed. So it's the conversations between Estyges to Harpagos, where he commands the baby once it's born. This is his actual grandson, uh, the the boy born of Mandane, which was his daughter, where he, he commands Arpagos, the man that he really trusts, to do away with the baby. Here's the conversation. Neglect not by any means, Harpagos, the manner which I shall lay upon thee to do, and beware lest thou set me aside in choosing the advantage of others instead, bringing thyself afterwards to destruction." Take the child which Mandane born, and carry it to thy house, and slay it. Afterwards, bury it in whatever manner you find desirest. To this he made the answer, O king, never yet in any pastime did thou discern in me an offense against thee, and keep watch over myself also with the view to the time that comes after, that I may not commit any error towards thee. It is indeed thy pleasure, and this thou shalt be done, and my service at least must be fitly rendered." Thus he made his answer, and when the child had been delivered to him, adorned as for death, Harpagos wept, wept to his wife all the words which had been spoken by Astyges. And she said to him, Now therefore, what is it in thy mind to do? And he made answer, Not according as Astyges enjoined, and not even if he shall come to me yet more out of his senses and more mad than he is now, will I agree to his will or serve him in such a murder as this? And for many reasons I will not slay this child, first because he is kin to me, and then because his is old. 
and without male, male himself. And if after he's dead and power shall come through me, does not the greatest dangers then await me? To secure me, this child must die, but one of the servants of Astyges must be the slayer of it, not one of mine. So we're just going to continue with the Herodotus account and interject here and there. Thus he spoke, and straightway sent a messenger to that of one of his herdsmen of Astyges, who, who knew fed his herds on the pastures which were most suitable for his purpose, and on the mountains most haunted by wild beasts. The name of this man was Metrides, and he was married to one who was a fellow slave, and the name of the woman to whom he was married was Kino, in the tongue of the Hellens, and in the Median tongue Spaco. Being summoned from much urgency, Harpagos said these words, Estyges bids thee take this child and place it on the most desolate part of the mountains, so that it may perish as quick as possible. Having heard this and taken up the child, the herdsman went back by the way he came and arrived at his dwelling. And his wife also, as it seems, having been every day on the point of bearing a child herself, by a provincial chance, really, brought her child to birth just at that time, and when the herdsman was gone to the city, and both were in anxiety, each for the other, the man fear about his wife bearing child, and also fear for a last minute being called by Apargos to the, ca- to the capital. So as soon as he returned and stood before, the woman seeing him again beyond her hopes was the first to speak, and ask him for what purpose Apargos had sent for him so urgently. And he said, Wife, when I came to the city, I saw and heard from which I could not be seen, which I should wish had never chanced to been able to serve in this way. For the house of Apargos was awful of mourning, and I being established threat within, and as soon as I entered, I saw laid out in view an infant child gasping for breath and screaming, which was adorned with gold ornaments and embroidered clothing. And when Apargos saw me, he bade me forthwith to take the child and carry it away and lay it in the part of the mountains, which is most haunted by wild beasts, and saying that it was Astagis who laid this task upon me and using it to, to many threats. And I took it up and bore it away, supposing that it was the child of some one of the servants of the house. For never could I have supposed whence it really was, but I marveled to see it adorned with gold and raiment. And I marveled also because mourning was made for it openly in the house of Apagos. And straight away, as we went by the road, I learnt the whole of the matter from the servant who went with me out of the city and placed in my hands the babe, namely that it was in truth the son of Mandane, the daughter of Astyges, and of Cambyses, named Cyrus, and that Astyges bade slay it. And now here it is. So catching up here, Astyges orders the death of his grandson because he fears the prophecies that will take over his throne. He orders his most trusted servant, Hippagis, to murder the baby. He secretly passes the baby to Metrides, a servant, a shepherd, a, a slave, to murder it instead. And it's getting complicated, but check this out. Metrides has a wife who's just bore a son, but he was stillborn. Fortuitous or good luck, some historians call lucky Cyrus such, but we call him blessed or prophesied. And his wife has a brilliant idea. And as he said this, the herdsman uncovered it and showed it to her. And she, seeing that the child was large and fair form, wept and clung to the knees of her husband, beseeching him by no means to lay it forth. For he said that he could not do otherwise than so, for watchers would come backwards and forwards, sent by Apargos, to see if this was done. 
and he he would perish by miserable death if he should fail to do this. And she could not, after all, persuade her husband. The wife next said as follows, Since then I am unable to persuade thee not to lay it forth. Do thou thus which I say to thee. If indeed it needs to be such, I have also borne a child, but I have borne it dead. Take this child, our child, and expose it, and let us rear the child of the daughter of Astyges as if it were our own. Thus thou wilt be found out doing no wrong, nor shall we have ill counsel for ourselves. For the dead child will obtain a royal burial, and the surviving one will not lose his life. To the herdsman it seemed that the case standing thus his wife spoke so well, and forthwith he did so. The child which he was bearing to put to death he delivered to his wife, and his own which was dead he took and placed in the chest in which he had been bearing the other, and having adorned it with all the adornment of the other child, he bore it to the most desolate part of the mountain and placed it there. Isn't this interesting? They exchanged the dead baby for the living baby. Remember the last time we had two babies, one living, the other dead? It was Solomon's divine wisdom which was uncovering, which was, it was Solomon's divine wisdom that uncovered the truth. Instead, this time, Estyges lacks divine wisdom, and it's God's wisdom which prevails in this case. The life of Cyrus saved, and if we doubt God who turns life to death, we have a symbolic number right out of Herodotus to prove it. And check out the next line of Herodotus. It's one of those most symbolic gestures in the Bible, and now a historian uses it. And when the third day had come after the child had been laid forth, the herdsman went to the city, leaving one of his underherdsmen to watch there. And when he came to the house of Apargos, he said that he was ready to display the dead body of the child. And Apargos sent the most trusted of his spearmen, and through them he saw and buried the herdsman's child. And on the third day, the herdsman Mitrides gave up the dead child and presented him as Cyrus, proving the death to those who seeked murder, yet tricking them by saving another. The third day, which represents resurrection power in the Bible, is used by Herodotus, being the day Cyrus is proved to be dead, but truly alive. Cyrus is saved and raised as a shepherd boy, a noble raised in the house of a slave, in the house of a no-name shepherd learning the ways of a shepherd, in a rough, hard land. Remember Moses? He learned royalty for 40 years, the language of the father. Humility for the next 40 years, the language of Jesus, the Son, to operate in the power of the Spirit in the last 40 years. Awesome for Cyrus to learn humility, hard work, and character before any other teachings. Cyrus would grow up with a kingly and stately presence, yet learning the character of a slave and servant. He was made to be God's man. And the devil overplayed his hand, and he failed to take out Cyrus. Let's catch up to the time when uh, Cyrus comes to the attention of Daniel. The account of Herodotus continues, and this is where Cyrus is found out. And when the boy was ten years old, it happened with regard to him as follows, and this made him known. He was playing in the village, in where stalls where oxen were, and he was playing there, I say, with other boys of his age in the road. And the boys in their play chose as their king this one who was called the son of the herdsman, 
And he set some of them to build palaces, and others to be spearmen of the guard, and one was no doubt to be appointed to the eye of the king. And one he gave to the office of bearing the messages, appointing a work for each other severely. Now one of these boys who was playing with the rest, the son of Artimbaris, a man of repute among the Medes, did not do that which Cyrus appointed him to do. Therefore Cyrus bade the other boys seize him hand and foot, and when they obeyed his when he failed to obey his command, he dealt with the boy very severely with the whip. But he, so soon as he was let go, was furious because he was treated with such indignity, went down to the city and complained to his father of the treatment that he would see from Cyrus, calling him not Cyrus, for this was not yet his name, but the son of the herdsmen of Astyges. And Artembaris, in the anger of the moment, went it immediately to Astyges, taking the boy with him, and declared that he had suffered things that were unfitting. And he said, O king, by thy slave, the son of the herdsman, we, we have been thus outraged, showing him the shoulders of his son, where he had been hit by the whip. So the king finds out and wants to punish this unknown boy, this son of a slave, because he had such great respect for the boy, this son of Artembaris, and when both were present, Astyges looked at Cyrus and said, Did thou thus dare, being the son of so mean a father as this, to treat with such unseemingly insult the son of this man, who is first in my favor? And he replied thus, Master, I did so to him with right. For the boys of this village, of whom he also was one, in their place set me as king over them, for I appeared to them most fitted for the palace. Now the other boys did what I commanded them, but this one disobeyed and paid no regard, until at last he received the punishment due. If therefore this is what I am worthy to suffer any evil for this reason, here I stand before thee. Now while the boy thus spoke, there came upon Astyges a sense of recognition of him, and the lineaments of his face seemed to him to resemble his own. And his answer appeared to be somewhat over free of his station, while the time of the laying forth seemed to be agreeing with the age of the boy. Being stuck with amazement by these things, for a time he was speechless, and having at length with difficulty recovered himself, he said, desiring to dismiss Artembaris, in order that he might get the herdsman by himself alone and examine him. Artembaris Artembaris, I will so order these things that thou and thy son shall have no cause to find fault. So he dismissed Artembaris, and the servants upon the command of Astyges led Cyrus within. And when the herdsman was left alone with the king, Astyges, being alone with him, asked which he had received the boy, and who, who was it that delivered the boy to him? And the herdsman said he was with his own son, and that the mother was living with them was still his wife. But Astyges said that he was not well advised in answering thus. But Astyges said that he was not well advised in desiring to be brought to extreme necessity. As he said this, he made a sign to the spearmen of his guard to seize him. So he, as he was being led away to torture, then de declared the whole story as it really was. In the beginning, from the beginning, he went through the whole, telling the story about it, and finally ended with entreaties, asking that he would grant him pardon. Now the secret's out. Mitrides told all to the king. Astyages, 
basically lets Mitrides off the hook, and he pursues his anger with his trusted servant, Arpagos. So when the herdsmen had made known the truth, Astyages now cared less about him, but with Harpagos he was greatly displeased and bade his spearmen summon him. And when Harpagos came, Astyages asked him thus, By what death, Harpagos, did thou destroy the child whom I delivered to thee, born of thy daughter? And Harpagos, seeing that the herdsman was in the king's palace, turned not to any false way of speech, lest he should be convicted and found out, but said as follows, O king, so soon as I received the child, I took counsel and considered how I should do according to thy mind, and how without offense to thy command I may be guilty of murder against thy daughter and against thyself. I did therefore thus. I called this herdsman and delivered the child to him, saying first that he should slay the child, and this I, I at least did not lie, and commanded him to place the child in a desolate mountain and to stay by it and watch it until it should die, threatening him with all kinds of punishment if he should fail and accomplish this. And when he had done that which was ordered, the child was dead, and I sent the most trusted of my eunuchs, and through them I saw and buried the child. Thus, O king, it happened about this matter, and the child had this death, which I say. So the king knows that Metredes didn't kill the baby, but exchanged them. So Harpagos declared the truth, and Astyages concealed the anger which he kept against him for that which he had come to pass, and first he related the matter over again to Arpagos, according which he had been told by the herdsmen, and afterwards, when it had been thus repeated by him, and he ended by saying, and now th- th- what happened here is, Astyages reveals to Arpagos that the child that was supposed to be killed really wasn't killed. So as the king reveals to um, Arpagos, Um, that the child is alive. This is the quote. For I was greatly troubled by that which had been done to this child, and I thought to no light thing that had been made at variance with my daughter. Therefore consider that this is a happy change of fortune, and first send thy son to be with the boy who is newly come, and then seeing that I intend to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving for the preservation of the boy to the gods to whom that honor belongs, be there thyself to dine with me. So the king tells him the rest of the story and and says he's pleased and going to have a feast to celebrate Harpagos and he would be the guest of honor. I mean, he's going to celebrate that Cyrus was actually not killed and Harpagos would be his guest of honor and Harpagos' son, around the same age of Cyrus, would be there to celebrate as well. And when Arpagos heard this, he did reverence and, and thought it was a great manner by this offense had turned out for his prophet, and moreover that he had been invited to dinner with happy augury. And so he went to his house, and having entered it straight away, he sent forth his son, for he had only one son of about thirteen years old, bidding him to go to the palace of Astyges, and do whatsoever the king should command. And he himself, being overjoyed, told his wife that which had been fallen him. So this is where our story gets just super nasty. And it tells why Astyages is going to eventually lose his throne. Concealing his anger against Harpagos for failing him, this is what Herodotus says he does, exacting his revenge on his disobedient servant Harpagos. 
But Astyages, when the son of Apagos arrived, he cut his throat and divided him limb from limb. And having roasted some pieces of his flesh and boiled others, he caused them to be dressed for eating and kept them ready. And when the time arrived for dinner and the other guests were present and also Arpagos, then before the other guests and before Estagis himself were placed tables covered with flesh of sheep. But when Arpagos was, was placed, the flesh of his own son, all but the head and the hands and the feet, and these were laid aside covered up in a basket. And then when it seemed that Arpagos was satisfied with the food, Estagis asked him whether he had been pleased with the banquet. And when Arpagos said that he had been very greatly pleased, they who had been commanded to do this brought to him the head of his son covered up, together with the hands and the feet. And standing near, they bade Harpagos uncover and take of them that which he desired. So when Harpagos obeyed and uncovered, he saw the remains of his son. And seeing them, he was not overcome with amazement, but contained himself. And Astagis asked him whether he perceived of what animal he had been eating of the flesh. And he said that, that he perceived that whatsoever the king might do as well pleased him. Thus having made answer and taking up the parts of the flesh which still remained, he went to his house, and after that, I suppose, he would gather all the parts together and bury them. Astagis is a horrible tyrant. His days on his throne are numbered. Harpagos would remain in the king's service, but he would secretly desire the death of the king from this day forward. What the king does with Cyrus, Herodotus now covers. And I'm just floored. I can't believe, you know, the king actually is going to allow this Cyrus to live. I mean, he's, he's bloodthirsty, he's paranoid, he's crazy. But he is convinced... To actually let him go. On Arpagos, Astagis lays his penalty. And about Cyrus he took thought, and summoned the same men of the Magi, who had given judgment about his dream in the manner in which it had been said. And when they came, Astagis asked how they had given judgment about his vision. And they spoke according to the same manner, saying that the child must have become king if he had lived on and had not died before. And he made answer to them thus, the child is alive and not dead, and while he was dwelling in the country, the boys of the village appointed him king, and he performed completely all those things which that they said would happen, for he exercised rule, appointed to their place as spearmen of the guard and doorkeepers and bearers of messages and all else. Now therefore, to what does it seem to you that these things read? The Magi said, if the child is still alive and became king without any arrangement, be thou confident concerning him and have good courage, for he shall not be ruler again the second time, since some even of our oracles have had but some small results, and then at least which has to do with dreams comes often in the end of feeble accomplishments. Astagis made answer to these words, I myself also, O Magi, and most disposed to believe that this is so, namely that since the boy was named king, the dream has had its fulfillment, and that this boy is no longer a source of danger to me. Nevertheless, give counsel to me, having well considered what is likely to be most safe both for my house and for you. Replying to this, the Magi said, To us also, king, 
It is of great consequence that thy rule should stand firm. For in the other case, it is transferred to strangers coming round to do this boy who is a Persian. We being Medes are made slaves and become of no account in the eyes of the Persians, seeing that we are of different race. But while thou art established as our king, who art one of our own nation, we both have our share of rule and receive great favors and honors. Thus then we must by all means have a care for thee and thy rule. And now, and if we saw in this anything to cause fear, we would declare all to thee beforehand. But as a dream has had its issue in a trifling manner, but we ourselves are of good cheer, and we exhort thee to be so likewise. And as for this boy, send him away from before thine eyes to the Persians and to his own parents. I mean, in a nutshell, the Magi were terrified that this Cyrus, due to the dreams, would take the throne of Astyages. But they agreed that they were erroneous in their interpretation of the dream, and it had kind of a trifle fulfillment in their eyes. Because he, came, he became king in a game. The one where he whipped the noble boy. Astyages shockingly believed them and let him go back to his original father in Persia. And when he heard this, Astyages rejoiced. And calling Cyrus, he spoke to him, My son, I did thee wrong by reason of a vision of a dream which has not come to pass. But thou art yet alive by thine own destiny. Now therefore go in peace to the land of the Persians, and I will send with thee men to conduct thee. And when thou art come, thou shalt find a father and mother, not after the fashion of the Mitridates, the herdsman and his wife. And thus having spoken, Astyges sent Cyrus away. And it, when he had returned and come to the house of Cambyses, his parents received him. And after that, when they learned who he was, they welcomed him not a little, for they had supposed without a doubt that their son had perished straight away after his birth. And they inquired into what manner he had survived, and he told them, and saying that before this he had not known, but had been utterly in error, and on the way, however, he had learned of all of his own fortunes, for he had supposed without a doubt that he was the son of a herdsman of Astyges. But since his journey from the city began, he had learned the whole story from those who conducted him. And he said that he had been brought up by the wife of the herdsman and continued to praise her throughout. So that Kaino was a chief person in his tale. The wife of a slave had brought him up to be a man. And his parents took up this name from him. And in order that their son might be thought by the Persians to have been preserved in a more supernatural manner, they set on foot a report that Cyrus, when he was exposed, had been reared by Kino, and from that source had come this report. So in the much smaller territory of Persia, the people must have been amazed when this Cyrus returned to his biological father, and the story of Cyrus became known in the area, and he starts to become kind of a legend in his own land. And the people are impressed with the story, his divine protection, and that, that lucky, though false, moniker starts to be declared over him. And let's start to say he has divine protection watching over him. He's not lucky. He's anointed. And we still aren't caught up to our timeline yet. Cyrus is 10-ish years old, and he's shipped to his real biological father's house, where he is raised as, a, as royalty in a prominent, though not dominant, house in Persia. Then as Cyrus grew to be a man, being of 
all those of his age, the most courageous and the best loved. Harpagos. Now, this is the guy who ended up eating his own son. He sought to become his friend and send him gifts because he's desiring to take revenge on Astyges. For he saw not how from himself, who was in a private station, punishment should come to Astyges. But when he saw Cyrus growing up, he endeavored to make him an ally, finding a likeness between the fortunes of Cyrus and his own. And even before that time, he had effected something. For Astyges being harsh towards the Medes, Harpagos communicated severely with the chief men of the Medes and persuaded them that they must make Cyrus their leader and cause Astyges to cease from being king. And when he effected this, and when all was ready, when Apargos, wishing to make known his design to Cyrus, who lived among the Persians, could do it in no other way, seeing that the roads were watched, but devised a scheme as follows. He made a hare, and having cut open its belly, but without pulling out any of its fur, he put into it, just as it was, a piece of paper, having written on it that which he thought good. And having sewed it up again the belly of the hare, and giving nets as if it were a hundred to that which of his servants whom he entrusted most, he sent him away to the land of the Persians, enjoining him by word of mouth to give the hare to Cyrus, and to tell him at the same time to open it up with his own hands, and let no one else be present when he did so. This then was accomplished, and Cyrus, having received from him the hare, cut it open, and having found within it the paper he took, and read it over. And when the writing said thus, Son of Cambyses, over thee the gods kept guard, for otherwise thou wouldst never have come to so much good fortune. Do thou therefore take revenge on Astyges, who is thy murderer. For so far as his will is concerned, thou art dead. But by the care of the gods and of me, thou art still alive. And this, I think, has gone long learnt from the first to the last, but how it happened about thyself. And also things I have suffered from Astyges, because I did not slay thee, but gave thee to the herdsmen. If thou for thou wilt be guarded by me, or guided by me, thou shalt be ruler of all that land over which now Astyges is ruler. Persuade the Persians to revolt and march an army against the Medes. And whether I shall be appointed leader of the army against thee, or any other of the Medes who are in repute, thou hast desirous, for these will be the first to attempt to destroy Astyges, revolting from him and coming over to your party. Consider then that here at last all is ready, and therefore do this and do it with speed. Cyrus, having heard this, began to consider in what manner he might most skillfully persuade the Persians to revolt, and on consideration he found that this was the most convenient way, and so in fact he did. He wrote first on a paper that which he desired to write, and he made an assembly of the Persians. And then he unfolded the paper, and reading from it said that Astyges appointed him commander of the Persians. And now, O Persians, he continued, I give command to come to me, each one with a reaping hook. Cyrus then proclaimed this command. Persuading to revolt from the Medes, namely those upon which all of the other Persians depend and all the groups of the Persians. Now Cyrus, with the assembly of, you know, over 10,000 soldiers from the Persian lands and all the, all the tribes around there, he convinces them to revolt against the Medians, the Medes. 
So the Persians, having obtained a leader, willingly attempted to set themselves free, since they had already been for a long time been indignant to be ruled by the Medes. But when Astyches heard that Cyrus was acting this way, he sent a messenger and summoned him. And Cyrus bade the messenger report to Astyages that he would be with him sooner than he himself desired. So Astyages, hearing this, armed all the Medes, and blinded by divine providence, he appointed Harpagos to be the leader of the army, forgetting what he had done to him. And then when the Medes had marched out and began to fight with the Persians, some of them continued the battle, namely those who had not been made partakers in the design with Arpagos, while others went over to the Persians, but the greater number were willfully sacked and fled. So when the Median army had been shamefully dispersed, so soon as Astyges heard of it, he said he threatened Cyrus, but not even so shall Cyrus at least escape punishment. Thus having spoken, he first impaled the magi interpreters of dreams who had persuaded him to let Cyrus go, and then he armed those of the Medes, youths and old men who had been left behind in the city. These he let out, and having engaged in battle with the Persians, he was even worsely defeated. And Astyges himself was taken alive, and he lost also those of the Medes who had led forth. Astyges then, having been king for thirty-five years, was thus caused to be ceased from being king, and the Medes stooped under the yoke of the Persians because of his cruelty. Cyrus did no harm to him besides, but kept him with himself until he died. Thus born and bred, Cyrus became king, and after this he subdued other regions and states until he became ruler of all of Asia. Quite quickly, Media and Persia has a new king. After the initial news, Daniel must have received daily updates about the revolt in Persia and the intel about Cyrus on his identity and culture and history. The daily updates came with surprising news and swift changes in these news. The Persians are revolting. Other tribes are joining. The Medes are mobilizing and preparing for battle. The Medes are defeated. Cyrus is declared king of Persia. And Astyges is captured. Prophecy was being fulfilled right before their eyes. Daniel pondered at the surprise of God and how he fulfills prophecy and how he could fulfill the remainder of Cyrus's story. Yet unknown to him, the aged Daniel would have more adventures to tell and even lions to tame. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com. <laughs>